Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. <laughs> On the ark, it's Mr. Dave AC. Oh, yes, I bring out the beast in Ian. <laughs> <laughs> That's just for drugs. <laughs> uh, prescription mythical, drugs, folks, prescription drugs. Yeah, a mythical creature that walks on its uh, elbows. <laughs> yes. All right, yes, we've got the gang assembled, and here they are. Joining us is Mr. Charlie P79. Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, also joining us for a limited time only, get him while you can, it's Logan. Hello, guys. And actually, I have uh, something to bring up here quickly. And uh, Randall you just had, What did you have for lunch? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Randall, I need to uh, bring a complaint because I was on your trivia show and you forgot a very important trivia question. Oh, did so I? I need what to, was that? I need to ask that right now. And the question is, who is the newest member of the TalkShoe support team? Any ideas? Ooh, ooh, ooh. I know this one. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ian? Uh, how many points is this worth first? Ten points. This is worth ten, ten points. points. It's uh, Dave A.C. Cooper. Correct. Yes, it is. <laughs> and just to let people know, this is the first time we're announcing it, Dave A.C. has joined the TalkShoe support team as of this week. So welcome aboard, Dave, and congratulations. Well, thank you, Logan. Yeah, uh, the, it's downhill from here, everyone. Uh, yeah. I'll be using a slightly different name when I'm doing that, which is Dave AC underscore TS. So if you see me as Dave AC, don't ask me any questions. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's just for the sake of keeping being a host on on shows, our co-host on the show, and helping out. But I am still learning the ropes, uh, Logan and guests are obviously the uh, the experts at the moment, and I'm catching up on the, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. But I'll be uh, going on some of the trainings and hoping to give uh, support just for a few hours a week. It's, uh, I'm only going to be a sort of a, 
uh, a lowly uh, member of the team, but hopefully uh, take more responsibility as I get used to it. But thanks, Logan. You're welcome. Thank you for uh, for signing up. Yay. All right. Also joining us, Mr. Randall Thor. I hit, hit that mute button again, but hello, everyone. And, yeah. well, nice to have you with the uh, sport team there, Dave. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Now we know who to blame. <laughs> like, I don't blame him for enough already. <laughs> right. Actually, I only, did, I only did it sort of a mute switch over Ian. Ah, oh, there you go. Everyone wishes they had one of those. <laughs> All right, finally on audio, uh, until maybe Darth Skeptical manages to get in. We really should fix that whole problem he's having with talk shoe. <clears throat> Mr. Tim Jury is here. Fish <laughs> from yesterday's London Film Comic Con and making sure that Adam J. Purcell did absolutely nothing unnecessary to Karen Gillant. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Alrighty then, uh, as I try and find out what I'm doing next, it's time to see who's under the cone of silence. Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. What? Yes, and joining us under the cone at the moment is Dar Skeptical. Davy Boy is with us. Hello, Davy Boy. Cybob and Sean59. There's only one more person to introduce, and that's the Typing Monkey. Release the Typing Monkey. <laughs> yes, it's news time, folks. All right. Uh, I had a link for news, but uh, yes, it's been an interesting news, news week. Uh, of course, Torchwood... Uh, uh, premiered this week, of course, in the U.S. Uh, the unusual thing about it was that uh, even though it premiered uh, Friday night, it streamed all day long uh, through the Xfinity website, which just took me as being rather strange. Um, why bother waiting till the premiere when you can just stream it all day long? But it was really good, so that uh, I was able to watch it on there because it was a lot cheap, uh, a lot, um, a lot better quality actually than watching it through uh, the Netflix uh, Stars Live feed uh, because I don't actually have the Stars channel, so it was good to actually be able to watch that. It was, uh, it was the best news I had all weekend, really, and because what with being busy on Saturday, I thought, oh well, I'm not going to be able to see this till quite late, and then suddenly it comes up on the day that it's shown on US telly and several hours later. Mm. Several hours earlier. And so I thought, oh, very nice. We'll stick that on this evening. <laughs> yes. So we're still unsure of the collective here as to uh, what way we're going to be handling Torchwood. There's uh, some rumblings in, in the chat room as to whether we should or shouldn't. Uh, so maybe we'll have a poll uh, and somebody can dance around it. Uh, <laughs> No, but seriously, folks. Um, also, a news that Beth Willis has actually left the Doctor Who production team uh, that was announced this week. Uh, she's gone back to uh, her um, previous employer, uh, uh, I believe it's uh, Kudos Films. 
So yes, uh, maybe she just, uh, as Tim said, maybe she just couldn't uh, take having to wear wetsuits and <laughs> and dive in cold, cold waters in foreign countries, which we all enjoyed, of course. Uh, but you know. <laughs> all right, who else had news? Uh, well, the Davy Boy uh, mentioned something in text um, about uh, Matt Smith. Uh, Doctor Who's Matt Smith to star as Olympic champ. Uh, Matt Smith is to set become Olympic champion in his next TV role. Uh, Smith will star a new BBC production, Bert and Dickie, about two Englishmen from different backgrounds who rode their way to a gold medal at the 48. 1948 Olympics. So you know they ended already. They get the gold medal. But never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um, I'm not too sure. Let's see. Oh, filming will start in August. So we've got no air date. And he starts filming um, in August. Thank you for that, David Boy. Yes. All right. Uh, Tim, you were out and about this weekend. Um, Would you tell us about it? Yes, well, I was at London Film and Comic Con, which is one of my regular annual haunts. Uh, it was rather popular this year, because um, there's two kinds of ticket you can use to get in, a 9am and an 11am, and I got in on my usual 11am ticket. Normally, you can walk straight in at 11am with minimal queuing. This time, there was a queue that went three-quarters of the way to the back of Earl's Court 2. Thankfully, I did get in quite quickly. And I can confirm that guardian angels really do exist, because my main reason for being there was Karen Gillan, and the fact that I could get her autograph for the first time ever. And I went over to her autograph area where they offer you a ticket for the virtual queue, and I was given ticket 1,152, and I thought, oh well, that's a late late afternoon signature, then i better get on with other things. And a man to my immediate right, upon seeing the expression on my face, without me even asking him or anything, just turned to me and said, um, oh, would you like a ticket for the signing? I decided not to use mine. And out of his top pocket came ticket number 380. And her first signing was ticket number 1 to 380. And she wouldn't be signing again until 4pm due to all the other things they had her doing uh, throughout the day at the con. So I was I was blessed, and I met her extremely briefly and confirmed she was very happy and friendly to everybody. But literally, it was a case of you pick, picked which photo you wanted her to sign. She said, "Oh, hello," and signed it, and you disappeared again. <laughs> but um, and um, I had my photograph taken. It was the first time I'd done these photo shoot things, and that was even briefer. And. Adam J. Purcell had two photographs done, one very neat with a shirt on and another with his Staggering Stories shirt on and um, the um, head of Pertwee, which um, you'll find on his um, Facebook page, and I think he may have posted them to the Staggering Stories website by now as well. And later in the day, uh, she did uh, the Q&A, which was... Not wishing to sound negative and cynical at this point, the the only ticketed and paid for Q and A of the whole day, and so the, the the seats filled up rather slowly because uh, you had to sit where the number on your ticket applied to, and then the organisers wouldn't start the Q and A until the area around the Q and A seating was clear. There was no one stood behind the seats, for example. 
but no, she gave a very good Q&A. She was asked about this... Um, I forget the title of it now. This Romeo and Juliet project she's been linked with. And that was one of only a couple of moments at which she went very cagey. And... Um, Someone's, someone said, oh, you've been linked with this project, can you tell us anything more about it? And then she went, uh, um, um, uh, which pretty pretty much confirmed that she possibly has got this part, but nothing's been filmed yet or contract signed or anything, because she went down that not, um, not able to say anything route. Um, do you want her one word? clue for the rest of season six it literally is one word right. somebody somebody did ask her can you tell us anything about season six and she says uh um what can i reveal motorbike which if like me and possibly some other people in the room you've been following some of the filming pictures of the last few weeks you'll know what that means but i'll say no more yeah uh, you know, to me that uh, just on that text you put in, Ian, I can't... Uh, oh, uh, j just tell people where uh, you're going to do a full report on your own show, aren't you, Tim? Yes, yes, you can um, You can hear the Q&A in full on Tim's Take On, which you can find at timstakeon.co.uk, and I'll put a link to that in chat. I also took many photographs throughout the day, and I'll put a link to those up, up on my Flickr site in chat as well. Okay, cheers. Right. And just to answer you in text, Ian, uh, but, uh, uh, there's no wall on that page. Oh, I've got his info photos. Are you, not, are you not friends with, uh, what? with the gentleman in question? Well, it doesn't say uh, uh, asked to be a friend. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'm a friendship. Because <laughs> I can see his wall. I've got info yeah. photos. Right, can't <laughs> see it. Oh, I'll work on that and see if we can find something before the end of the show. Oh, well. Never mind. KBO. I can right. let you hear from Andy if you want. Uh, we actually got a little bit of news here uh, that I've got a... Um that I remembered last minute. Uh, ah. The Gallifrey One website has just uh, undergone a bit of a facelift. Uh, that is, the, of course, the website for... Uh, the Gallifrey Convention in Los Angeles, California. So far, the guest list is Paul McGann, Mark Shepard, Camille Kaduri, uh, Maureen O'Brien, Louise Jameson, William Russell. Also joining them is uh, Tony Curran, who played uh, Vincent Benko, uh, Richard Frankel, of course, Mike Yates, Mary Tam, Romano One, Fraser Hines, Jeremy McCrimmon, uh, Daphne Ashbrook, uh, Yi Ji Tso, uh, and, let's see, next page, Carrie Russell, Phil Ford, Tony Lee, uh, Matthew Dallas-Smith, uh, Charlie Ross, Virginia Hay from Farscape, Jason Hay-Ellery uh, from Big Finish, uh, Barbara Hambly, Jane Esperson, uh, John Shaban, Doris Egan, Jake McGann, and Michael Troughton. Uh, I don't think there's any more. Have I missed anybody? Uh, no. Uh, also, uh, news from Hurricane, who... Uh, what is it? Uh, I think it's uh, Category 2. Uh, unfortunately, Sylvester McCoy has had to pull out of the convention due to uh, filming conflicts, of course, uh, down in New Zealand with the new uh, Hobbit movies. 
they will be having uh, I can't find that list <laughs> prepared as always aren't I Dave tap dance while I find it <laughs> okay well uh, I can't see it yeah, well, I, I, I couldn't find the other thing it did, so let me just uh, let me just play. Uh, our play Andy while bumper. I find the list. <laughs> oh, play Andy. Okay, here we go. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID five four eight two one. Call in on seven two four 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 seven four four four. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Um, All right, I have found the list. Uh, of course, already uh, already announced for uh, Hurricane uh, Who uh, category two were uh, was Terry Malloy, uh, who was of course Davros. Joining him now will be Mar- uh, Paul Mark Davis, who played the trickster in the Sarah Jane Adventures. Uh, Chipo Chung, who played uh, Chento, and uh, oh, what was her name? I can't remember her name now, but I know she was the fortune teller in in, in uh, Turn Left. Oh, oh, she played Yant- uh, Chanto. Yeah, that's what I said. God, you were not sure again, were you? <laughs> well, you said she played two. One was the fortune teller, and the other yeah. was the... But I said, I said, she said, I said the beginning, never mind. Moving on. <laughs> also joining will be Steve Case, uh, Scott Tepperman from Ghost Hunters International, and the cast of the web series For the Win. Uh, they will be also announcing some more guests soon, so uh, stay tuned for that. But I think that's me done, yeah. So, if you have something else to play, Dave, go ahead. Ah. This is Anthony Burge, Jessica Burke, and Christine Larson of the Mythological Dimensions of Doctor Who. And you're listening to the Cotham Collective. And you're listening to a uh, classical one where uh, we're mixed up as usual. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, I think uh, we'll probably go straight into the topic now because we've got... Um, uh, quite a number of people in the room, not so many on actual audio, uh, but let me just say straight away from the uh, topic that we're choosing, and the topic is creatures of myths and fantasy, that um, when we try and have these sort of more varied topics, you know, moving away from Dot Who now and again and moving away from what I would call uh, hard sci-fi, uh, the, the whole idea is to cover areas that perhaps Ian and myself know even less about than than perhaps normally. So um, this appeared to be a, a suitable topic uh, to come under that um, regime. I have got a number of clips that I may play during the course of uh, the show, uh, but let me just um, start by reading a couple of things out here. Um, now, obviously, we're going to be talking mainly about mythical creatures that appear in uh, in books, in perhaps uh, fantasy magazines, in TV series and in films. But uh, just to sort of uh, give a little background to this, um, and this is a reading from www.mythicalcreaturesguide.com and let me just put that link back in the room. These links can be got by people using the... Uh, the uh, te- Talks you uh, text chat grabber uh, uh, later 
when they're listening. So they're not just useful for the people in the room now, but they may be useful for people later. So uh, just quoting basic from that, just to get us going, um, what are mythical creatures? Mythical creatures are almost always literary creatures that generated popularity out of literary circulation and, and storytelling. They are legendary creatures that were at one point believed to be real things, while some have their origin traced from literary myths. Mythological, uh, mythical creatures can be divided into two groups, according to this site. The first group consists of creatures that everybody agrees to have existed, or to still exist today, and the other group is composed of creatures uh, which not everybody agrees as to whether they have existed or not. We do believe Ian exists, but we're not quite sure about that one. And of course, the, the ones that most people from the school days will be perhaps most familiar with are uh, Greek mythical creatures uh, that came out of the pages of books. Uh, and they are, of course, things like uh, centaurs, minotaur, nymphs, pegasus. And of course, if you've watched um, other things like uh, Jason and the Argonauts and more popular fiction, you know, you hear about the Kraken and... Uh, all sorts of uh, uh, hydras and uh, so on, um, Medusa uh, and creatures of that sort. Finding clips for today's show was somewhat difficult because whenever they're referenced in actual um, uh, films or whatever, there's not actually much narrative. It's usually uh, sword fights and lots of jumping around and lots of noises. So uh, the, some of the, the clips I've got for particular films don't actually have, uh, you know, quote-unquote, the creature talking or being talked to. Uh, obviously, a lot of them just make sort of roaring noises or whatever. And then you have other creatures that are really uh, modern devices from uh, films where it actually is a recognisable creature in some way, but it's obviously been taken to the extreme. I suppose the most likely thing to uh, think about that would be uh, King Kong, which just looks like an enormous gorilla. Uh, but in other than its size, uh, it's not that much differentiated between uh, that and the other. And also, um, we've got creatures that are made up of what appear to be uh, two or three creatures already known. So um, you have the you know the the creature that's half man half horse. You have the creature that's half lion, half half uh, bird or whatever. And so you have these creatures that are mixed up. We will have no doubt reference dot two as we get towards the end. What we're going to say to people in the room today is we're not going to try and be any formula about this. I think the only thing is and the only sensible way to proceed is for people to perhaps reference. Uh, works or films or whatever that they've enjoyed that have indeed got those uh, creatures or creature in it. Just in case people were wondering, the intro that uh, we played to the today's show, we had the cult and collective theme, but blended into that was actually uh, part of the music that played from the film, the Tom Cruise film Legend, and that was the part where uh, they come upon with Mia Farah, uh, not Mia Farah, I'm not too sure of the girl. Mia Sarah. Mia Sarah, five points, Charlie. Uh, where they come across um, the, um, the, ooh, the, I'll Unicorn. say, lep Unicorn. Ah! 
unicorn, the unicorn. So it was the it was the the, the music of the unicorns uh, interspersed with that. And that's a long preamble. Ian, do you want me to start in any particular way, or do you want to kick off your initial thoughts? Um. Well, I two things I can kick it off with is uh, I just, of course, just got done watching this week. I got done watching um, uh, Clash of the Titans, which is just uh, full of all sorts of uh, mythological beasts, creatures, of course. Uh, the Pegasus. I always thought Pegasus was white. Hmm. The one I know was black. Not that I have a problem with that. I know lots of black Pegasus. Uh, <laughs> But uh, the one thing i got to say about that movie, um, just kind of sidestepping a bit and talking about the movie itself, was uh, while it wasn't as good, I think, as, as the um, the original movie, uh, they did manage to keep a lot of the creatures very kind of, I don't know, uh, they weren't stop motion, of course, they were all CG in that, but they did have the same kind of atmosphere about them. If that makes any sense at all, uh, but yeah, the the scale of that movie was pretty good. The, unfortunately, the the lead actor in it was just nothing. He was awful. <laughs> but it was good to see uh, a, a good sized kraken, you know, in there lurking around. Um, it was good to see, uh, you know, uh, sorry. <laughs> Well, while you, while you gather these thoughts, let me play. I've got a clip of the original 1981. Okay. Provide him with suitable weapons. Weapons of divine temper. A helmet, a shield, a sword. Find and fulfill your destiny. The myth. The magic. The mystery. The Majesty. Destroy Argos! Let loose the last of the Titans. Metro Goldwyn Mayer presents Clash of the Titans. The good, the evil, the danger, the daring. How may a mortal man face and defeat the Kraken? Clash of the Titans. The combat. The courage. The splendor. The spectacle. Clash of the Titans. Starring Harry Hamlin as Perseus. Judy Balco as Andromeda. Burgess Meredith. Maggie Smith. Ursula Andrus. Claire Bloom, Sean Phillips, Flora Robeson, and Florence Olivier as Zeus. Before history, beyond imagination, Clash of the Titans. And we'll have to get David Boy on uh, audio, you know, I don't know why. <laughs> uh, he says in text here, I met Ray Harryhausen at a question and answer about a decade ago. And he was great fun talking about how he created his masterpieces. The sword-fighting skeletons from Jason and the Argonauts were my fave. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I've got a clip for that. For I'll play that next when we get to it. Right. Ian? But that, I mean, that's the thing. is uh, they, they were very... 
I think they stayed quite true to the to the look at least of of the uh of all the creatures that he created for the original movie. They, they had a similar look, although of course they moved a lot, a lot better and everything. But you know, at one point there's these, these giant uh, scorpion type creatures coming out of the sand, and it was just kind of very reminiscent of of, uh, of the original film, but of course with better effects. But um, unfortunately, Sam Worthington isn't worth much at all. Uh, <laughs> But fast night is a good movie. Uh, but uh, if you're if you if you want to see some some mythological beasts running rampant over over uh, over the earth, then go with the original. Uh, so back to the the topic at hand. My favorite, I guess, uh, mythological creature has always been dragons. Um, of course, everybody's got the, you know, the, their own different views of, of dragons. I mean, if, and it all depends, I guess, on which one you encounter first. I mean, my first. One was uh, in in the Hobbit with smoke, uh, and I think on the front cover of one of the editions there was, you know, the picture of the big, you know, gold dragon, you know, sitting there, and and that's kind of the impression you get, you know, the big this big body, long neck, and this big head. Uh, the interesting thing that I found, uh, and I put the link in earlier, I'll have to see if I can find it again, but uh, Animal Planet uh, did a uh, special on dragons, and they basically did it a lot like uh, walking with dinosaurs, except it was all about dragons and the different kinds of dragons that you know lived in whichever area. And they did it. I mean, it's a mockumentary, you know, uh, but they made it out like they were real. And, and a lot of people spent a, a good deal of time, kind of. Uh, creating the dragons and and the types of dragons that you'd find in what areas and and making, I guess, trying to design them as they would work, uh, you know, so that they were, you know, uh, more realistic, you know, the the capabilities of these dragons. So, um, if anyone has the ability to to, to check that out, uh, it's it's well worth watching. Um, and uh, Mike, Mike says he vaguely remembers that. I remember them explaining the fire breathing ability, and it is. It's really kind of cool to just kind of sit there and because they're they're a fun. I, I don't know, not fun. I mean, a dragon can do an awful lot of damage, I'm sure. Uh, but I don't know. It's kind of nice to sit there and pretend that you know that they they may actually exist. Um, but dragons, I think, have always been kind of cool because they're for the most part intelligent uh creatures as well as being you know these big fire breathing rampaging or ice breathing or whatever um beasts but they also possess a certain amount of intelligence and you know you can sit there and have a have a chat with one um but yeah i i'm i'm a big fan of dragons I mean, I mean, we could do a whole topic just on dragons itself. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, in in fiction, of course, is the uh, our science fiction is that is it the dragons of Pern? Yeah, dragons of Pern. Yeah. And then there's the Anne McCaffrey ones. Um, and what's that one called? Uh, that's the, uh, the the ones with dragons in as well. I mean, so many often. Obviously, we've been doing a bit. Uh, we talked a little bit about Merlin in the past. And uh, of course, there's the great dragon in that. Um, there's lots of people that are yeah, absolutely fascinated with dragons, collect little, collect little uh, dragon, uh, you know, sculptures and so on, yeah. figurines and what have you. Um, yeah. Uh, 
listed, I think I found a list, I've lost it at the moment, where the ten most popular mythological creatures and Dragon was either number one or two. Yeah, I mean, um, dragon, dragons are just, I don't know, I just, I, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons too is because they're, they're imbued with a certain amount of intelligence, they're not just brutes, you know, they are, they're cool because of that, I think. Um, the, my son loves, uh, um, What's that animated film that came out? Uh, How to Train Your Dragon or something like that. I think it was. David Tennant did, did the uh, yeah How to Train Your Dragon. David Tennant did the uh, the audio book readings um, for that, and Liam's been enjoying those too. Um, this has been on How to Speak Dragonese, which he's actually learned how to speak Dragonese. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 really good. Um, Davy Boy also put in there uh, Flight of the Dragons had Harry Morgan. And James Earl Jones voicing, and it was really interesting to uh, my eight-year-old self. Yeah, yeah, and I put a, a wiki link in there to uh, Dragon. I mean, so many. Of course, uh, lots of things from uh, Japanese Oriental dragons, Greek mythology, chi- sorry, Chinese, uh, Indian, Persian, uh, the Chinese New Year brought in by the dragons. I mean. Uh, it is uh, it is definitely uh, definitely one of the ones that uh, most people will think of. Of course, it's a, a sort of a real life dragon, isn't it? Is it the Komodo dragon? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this uh, list of dragons in literature as well. Um, while um, people, while we go, wait, we'll go to um, Charlie and then Tim. Let me. You mentioned uh, Jason the Argonaut, so let me just play a clip of that. Now, from the makers of Sinbad, Columbia Pictures presents Jason and the Argonauts. The mightiest band of warriors the world has ever known. Turn back, Jason! We're trapped! Sailing to the ends of the earth, battling against an incredible number of obstacles. Where will you find this miracle? I have heard there is a tree at the end of the world. The fleece of gold hanging its branches. In search of the fabulous magic golden fleece, Jason and the Argonauts, caught in the clutches of the towering bronze giant Talos, battered by treacherous falling rocks, taming vulturous harpies, facing the dreaded seven headed Hydra, battling the merciless army of skeletons. Jason and the Argonauts, the classic story of Jason. A man who challenged the gods. Medea, a temple dancer who betrayed a kingdom for love. The Argonauts, the mightiest band of warriors the world has ever known. Jason and the Argonauts, a classic adventure story. Brought to the screen through the incredible special effects magic of Dinorama. Jason and the Argonauts, the search that became a legend. Yeah, and I put again some links in there to... uh from one of the wiki pages, list of dragons in literature uh, from Anne McCaffrey, as you said, the dragon riders of Perth. And uh, my brother was a yeah. huge, huge fan. I think he's got all of the all of those books. Right. Huge Anne McCaffrey fan. Yeah. yeah anybody else? Actually, Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, we'll go to Charlie next if, if that's okay, and then Tim, yeah. then Mike. Anybody else wants to weigh in on dragons or or bring in? Oh yeah. Something that they want to mention. Charlie. Oh, sorry. I think it's a general thing, but um, yeah, like, yeah. 
we might uh, Rob uh, play that uh, Jason A. Argonauts trailer filmed the Dinorama and everything like that um, just going through really, I, I, you know, I was a fan of all that stop motion stuff uh, you know all that stuff you know, with the Hydra and the, and the skeletons and the and the, um, the Sinbad movies with you know, all that stuff like that the, the Cyclops and all that stuff and um you know, even something like some of those, like you know, he had there's a giant octopus, and uh, it came from beneath the sea, and yeah, and just the stuff from the the you know the Clash of Titans, and and if you're talking about you know dragons, you know there was you know um, there was that uh, movie uh, Dragon Slayer from the early early 80s that I liked. Um, also like 80s, yeah. Also that there was that the, the dragon in um, at the end of Sleeping Beauty. Ooh. Um, what was the one with Matthew McConaughey in it? He was in one with Dragon. Oh, that's Rain of Fire. Rain of Fire. Yeah, I haven't really seen... I haven't ever saw that movie. Um, Good film. Oh, all right. Yeah, well, I enjoyed it. Directed yeah. by one of the people behind the X-Files. Yeah, yeah, I know. That was Rob Bowman, yeah. Um, Five points. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a big X-Files fan, so that's how we knew that. Uh... Yeah, I just I think you know, like, yeah, you know, reading stuff from the from uh, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings books and and, and the movies and just all the all the other stuff, all that and you know the giant monster. Yeah, you can talk about King Kong, or you can talk about Godzilla and all the stuff that comes from there. So it's I, you know most of it. Yeah, most of the stuff I know is probably from movies and such. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm just putting in text as well. Um, uh, in Discworld, there were two types of Terry Pratchett's Discworld: uh, noble dragons, Draco Nobilis, which are typical European type dragons, uh, which are extinct by the time the books take place, but can be summoned by magic, are created using lots of magic and uh, imagination, and the uh, swamp uh, dragons, uh, which are the size of small dogs and bred as pets. Uh, do you want to say any more at this point, Charlie? Should we see what Tim... No, that's fine. I'm done. Tim? Well, it's come up earlier about the intelligence of dragons, and in um, Merlin we have the dragon as Merlin's mentor, although he's clearly been transformed into a more occasional character in more recent episodes. And, um, well, to chime in on the sort of Ray Harryhausen front... um, one of his more memorable creations in the the original Clash of the Titans would be Medusa, which, um, even though it is this stop-motion thing, uh, it's it's so well shot that it's, it's just as scary, if not scarier, than some of the modern CGI effects as they're in this kind of like dark temple having to follow all the rules that you can do to fight this thing with snakes for snakes for hair and if you look her in the eye you'll turn to stone mm. as I remember as a warning to how dangerous it was already previous people who tried to kill her are just sort of dotted around this temple and surrounded by all these sort of statues and um, it's quite an old film so I'm going to spoil it for people he uses his shield she can look at her reflection. <laughs> but um, 
No, the um, the effects in that movie. I mean, they 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 vary a bit, but on the other hand, they they they're always um watchable and generally well done. And I think I think that may be the movie that had the Kraken in it, wasn't it? Which is this sort of giant creature that comes out of the sea. Uh, must yep. must be about fifty foot tall or something. Yeah, but, famous um, John Wyndham book is co- of course written called The Kraken Wakes. But yes, yeah. it was it, it, uh, shown in that one. But um, as, as we've said, we almost shouldn't go on about dragons too much because it, it would make a good future show just to discuss all the instances that have come up over the years. But um, no, as I said before we started, there's, there's not a huge great deal I can chime in on, so I'm, I may drop off soon, so that's early warning for you. Okay, well, let's just see what Mike has to say, and then uh, I've got a short list just to read out to perhaps prompt people. Mike? I'm I'm cracking up over all these puns over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's get cracking. <laughs> Indeed. Everybody else in the room's cracking a smile. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Puns! Puns everywhere! <laughs> oh, dear. But yes, back to the topic of dragons, I believe, we were talking about. Or I, anything I else you what... wish to bring up. Ah, yes. Yeah, so just, you know, dragons are basically the staple of the the, the uh, mythical creature uh, library. It's if, if you... They're everywhere in, in fantasy books and movies and video games and it's like I, I mentioned just a long list of things in, in chat already it's like with, with our, just a standard fantasy RPG there's generally a dragon in there somewhere the the, the dragon quest for an RPG franchise from uh, Enix over in Japan that's uh, sort of popular over here <laughs> um, but just I also mentioned the Dragon Lance books, which was uh, an early fantasy series that I that I read back when I was a kid. And it was a uh, sort of pu- it was published by Tor, or I think it was. But uh, anyway, it was sort of a, sort of a side story of the D- Dungeons and Dragons universe, and there were all sorts of dragons, dragon types there. There were fire dragons, there were ice dragons, lightning dragons, light dragons, darkness dragons, and the different the different abilities that the dragons had. It's like if, if a normal human got too close to a dragon, they would they would instinctively feel fear, and that was just a thing called dragon fear, just a normal ability, instinctive, uh, innate ability of dragons. And dragons, some of the dragons could transform into humans and walk around unnoticed because they, they looked like humans. And they could transform back to normal dragons later on. But so those are some of the things from the Dragonlance books. Uh, Guest fourteen mentions that they also liked the Dragonlance books. Yes, the first couple of trilogies before that Weiss and Hickman wrote. Those are my favorites. And then the series started going all over the place, and other people started writing. But that's a whole different discussion. Um, I just I, oh, back to video games. I've also mentioned the Dragon type Pokemon. And the dragon type into the Pokemon world, and those are some of my favorite Pokemon to, to train because they're quite powerful. Po- uh, Pokemon like Salamence and Dragonair and Dragonite and all of those. Uh, but yeah, dragons are basically the the stable, the most used uh, fantasy creature, and 
they're because of you know as we mentioned they come from you know the his, historical cultures around the world and it's interesting looking back the eastern dragon design the snake like more serpentine and the the western dragon design historically but that's uh as you said that could be its own topic and its own show so I'll leave it there well let me ask one question is there are there any dragons in the wheel of time series that no I think you're familiar with <laughs> there are no real dragons. There's a character who was nicknamed... There's no wheel the dragons? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, well, very good. Wheel dragon. <laughs> Two drums and a cymbal went off a cliff. But I'm... But yes, there are no real dragons in the Wheel of Time. There's a character who's historically nicknamed the Lord Dragon, and uh, he's reborn into the into the world to save the world. But there are no real dragons. But there is a dragon reborn. He's a human, though. Okay. Well, uh, just let me uh, just give people idea people in the room ideas. Um, uh, I was looking on y- Yahoo Answers where somebody had said, uh, you know, I-, I-, I like mythological creatures. You know, what what films should I watch? to look out for that, that that have at least in some part a mythological creature or uh, or whatever and um, uh, here are some of the films that were, were named they might just trigger people's memories uh, the main list was by Samwise on Yahoo Answers um, Clash of the Titans Hercules, Jason and the Argonauts Reign of Fire Dungeons and Dragons, Dragon Slayer uh, Dragonheart the Ring series, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King. The Last Unicorn, Legend, uh, Beowulf, Elf, Willow, Thumbelina, Hook, Peter Pan, Merlin, Sword in the Stone, The Black Cauldron, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And then other people have added, I may duplicate, King Kong, Elf, Splash, Pan's Labyrinth, Never Ending Story, the Mummy, Shrek, E.T., Lady in the Water, Pirates of the Caribbean, Hook, Casper, Jumanji, uh, How the Cringe, Cringe Stole Christmas, Monsters, Inc., Enchanted, Stardust, um, The Magical Legend of the Leprechauns, Lady Hawk, Hocus Pocus, Princess Bride, The Dark Crystal, Loch Ness, um, um, A Fairy Tale, A True Story, Fern Gully, would you believe, Harry and the Hendersons. So an awful. Sorry, did you there, say Avatar? Oh no, sorry, Fern Gully. <laughs> uh, let me uh, play uh, another one of the little trailers. This is from which one I haven't seen, but my daughter thought it was an excellent film. It's called Pan's Labyrinth. And that illustrates one of my problems with getting audio clips. As I say, there's, uh, that's more for atmosphere and thoughts. But um, 
Um, you know, there's at least I know there's a fairy in it, and there's those creatures with their their eyes on their hands are painted on their hands, and all sorts of strange creatures. Uh, anybody in the room familiar with Pam's lab- labyrinth and would like to elaborate? Nobody. I've, seen, I've seen it. It's a it's a very old film. Old is it? It's kind of two films in one. It's one about sort of the Spanish Civil War, if I recall, and another about this sort of fantasy world that the girl goes into to escape from it. Right. Okay, well, that's Some people that... love it. It wasn't really for me. <laughs> Okay, well let's let's have one or two slightly more humorous ones then. Uh, one of the ones that was mentioned then was uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. So let's go to some. Well, we've got some Irish folk in the room, haven't we? In so let's have a play of this. Quite a long clip, I'm afraid, but quite funny. There he stood with an angry little gap on him, and his face as fierce as fire. King Brian, me old boy, I've got you at last. And I'm not going to let you go until you grant me the favour of three grand wishes. Wait now, wait now. Maybe we can talk this over. Will you have a pinch of snuff? Aye, and you blow it into me eyes. I'm up to all your dirty little tricks. You've gone too far. You'll get no wishes from me at all now. You'll either give them to me or else you'll answer to the church. I'll have Father be curse you with a blessing that'll shrivel you up in a minute. All right then. Wish your wishes and be done with it. I've worked to do at home. Ah, don't rush me. Don't rush you? Mean to say you're not going to wish for a crack of gold? I may in due time. But what's gold to a man if he be too sick? Or too sad to enjoy it? Uh, you're the thinking man. I am. And me first wishes, you'll grant me health. Granted. Now, uh, me second wish is a small wish indeed. But it means a lot to me. I want a big crop of potatoes. Granted. And me third wish is for the crock of gold. Granted. Now, uh, what about your fourth wish? My fourth wish? Try me. You'll find I'm a generous man. Then I'll be a generous man. I'd like a crock of gold like this for my good friend, Tom Kerrigan. And another one for that decent man, Pat Scanlon. And another one for that door full of a woman, Molly Malloy. Is that your fourth wish? It is. <laughs> Three wishes I'll grant you, great wishes are small But you wish a fourth one and you lose them all <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought that was just a change of moody and uh... Yes, there you go Everyone's always after me lucky charms <laughs> They're magically delicious. Uh, David <laughs> Boyce. London film and Comic Con, bizarrely enough, there was a whole stool of American food. <laughs> uh, David Boyce put quite a bit in there. I don't think he wants to read any of it in. Um, I'll do my best. Trying to catch up. The leprechauns are not the baddies in W.O. Girl. That was another mythological creature, the Banshee, who was. Very scary as a kid. Sean Connery sings in the film, which is probably scary as well. <laughs> I knew uh, you'd be better w- than me. <laughs> three wishes I'll grant ye. Three wishes 
<laughs> a flea or something he says or something or something he says here. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. But but you uh, you you ask for four and you lose them all. Yep. And you've got to catch them all. Oh, sorry, that's Pokemon. <laughs> right, who who has got a, a, a favourite creature that we, that we haven't mentioned here? Charlie! Hmm. Gee, okay. Um, da, 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 da. Well, um, yeah, a lot of creatures. Um, uh, I'll say to say the Cyclops. I mentioned the Cyclops already, but I'll mention them again. Ooh, yes. Good just, choice. And the, just like the whole idea of the whole, you know, it's got, you know, this creature that has one eye and, and it can see, uh, you know, if, you know, see its uh, come up at, you know, that and that whole thing. It's sort of a cursed creature. He's the one eye, one eye, one eye. He's the one eye, one eye love. <laughs> but um, <boom. laughs> sorry, folks. <laughs> And uh, Dim has just left us. He faded off the Dim. Now the the Cyclops. He he was that was one of Harryhausen's yes uh, creations, wasn't it? This was all done with the stop motion that he was doing at the right. time. Um, Seventh Voyage to Sinbad. I think that's the one it was in. Right. Uh, I liked. Um, the the I think no it was from Jason and the Argonauts wasn't it was it the harpies that were um, attacking in fact the second Doctor um, oh yeah that's true uh, Patrick Troughton um, right he he was blind and food was laid out for him every day but the the harpies came and and were making his life a misery and right. he would give them some information but they had to uh, save him from the harpies but I remember being I thought they were very scary, but uh, I think your Cyclops one is a better choice. Okay, Mike, do you want to bring in one of your favourite ones, and then I'll I'll go to another clip. Hmm. Well, I'm not exactly sure what to what to choose at this point. Well, we've already went over dragons and just uh, hmm. <laughs> I could well, the point is, it's a very large topic here. There's no yeah, way we're is. going to be able it to is. provide for our listeners later, you know, uh, an encyclopedic coverage of this. I mean, it would take so many. We'd have to break it down into subgroups like uh, dragons one week, or, or, or like the, the humorous ones, and the, the we've got some coming from the horror genre as well. So, just go with what you think. I'll just go ahead and mention just the, the re- uh, recently I've been going back and playing some of the the, the Game Boy Advance and DS Castlevania games and uh, the, the way those games are made with the the, the the enemies that they they put in it's the Castlevania games are basically a catalog themselves of a long list of, of classical fantasy and mythological creatures because that's what they pull from for the enemy designs and it's like I, I, there was an enemy that I came across the other, the other day and. Final Fantasy uh, Castlevania Aria of Sorrow was a a Bure, B-U-E-R. wasn't even sure what that was, so I checked Wikipedia and found out that it's actually a classical uh, demon from, uh, like, one of the the lesser demons of hell from from medieval literature. So, it's the Castlevania games. It's a great way to get a a good look, overview, I should say, a good overview of all sorts of classical creatures. And I'll leave that there. Um, from the chat, uh, 
Doris has actually uh, put in uh, mermaids and the gorgon. Uh, mermaids are, are fantastic um, for more than one reason. <laughs> well, it all depends too. I mean, uh, uh, some there have been think, some quite scary renditions of, of, of mermaids, but uh, of course, uh, there's even there's even mermaids in, in Orlando. Yeah, there's actually. Uh, um, I have to think of the name of them and then the website. The, but, uh, Jung, the Dungong, you mean? What? Aren't those creatures, uh, the, the, those white creatures sometimes called mermaids, the Dungongs are what they're called, in the Everglades. They look, they look like a sort of a, a seal-like creature, a walrus-like creature. Uh, are they not sometimes called mermaids? You're thinking manatees? Manatees. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but the point, the point is that they're sometimes called mermaids, aren't they, as well? Because um, they think that that's what sea- sailors might have seen, you know, hundreds of years ago and thought they were seeing mermaids. Mm-hmm. And actually were things like manatees, because they're like hairy whiskers and things. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, it's, he's brought me time to... to, to <laughs> To find uh, what I was looking for, the the, the wiki watch, he uh, mermaids. Uh, it's a uh, basically like one of the roadside attractions. You can go and um, you can see mermaids. Uh, it's a collection of uh, uh, professional young ladies who uh, who don a tail and uh, swim around in a, in a big tank, and you can actually sit down in the. I think they have a restaurant down there. Um, and yeah, they they uh, they're just very skilled at at, uh, at holding their breath, and they swim around with these lovely tails on. And um, yeah, it's a rather interesting thing to go and check out. So if you're ever in Orlando, um, go look for the uh, the Wiki Watchy uh, mermaids. And I've just put in text just to show that I'm not as thick as you think I am. Uh, the wiki page for manatee and culture. The manatee has been linked to folklore on mermaids. Mm. So there. An ugly looking freaking mermaid. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm loving. Oh, oh no! But, uh, have you have you seen a manatee? <laughs> yeah, I know. But they've been at sea a long time. <laughs> okay. Uh... There is a link for the uh, WikiWatchy. Uh, it's uh, com. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's well worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. Um, I have yet to check it out, but I, I know a friend who's uh, quite friendly with a lot of the mermaids there. So, <laughs> I'm not saying any more than that. Saying any more than that, <laughs> but anyway, okay. uh, the, the Gorgon too is, uh, is one that Darth brought up. I, oh, yes, I, uh, I think uh, it's an interesting one too because you know, it seems quite obvious. You know, it's like, well, you know, if she can't get you through the reflection, you're good. You know, that's the way to do it. But you always find the people who go in there and go, oh hey, oh damn it, <laughs> I'm stoned now. But the whole. Uh, the thing that always creeped me out, especially the the, the Harry House version, is the the the, this, um, the hair of snakes was just you know bizarre and creepy and uh, you know basically these things with the minds of their own, you know, living on her head. It's quite cool. 
Anyway, yeah. Me. Yeah, yeah, the the origins of the Gorgon. Concept of the Gorgon was at least as old in mythology as Perseus and Zeus. The name is Greek, being derived from Gorgos and translated as terrible or dreadful. Hmm. Okay, well let's uh, let's move on to something else. Um I was gonna to keep to the funny one, but I'm not sure whether we should do after that. But um let, let's get um Let's go for some American culture. Uh, culture? American culture? Yes, I can say those two <laughs> words. And let's have a uh, one of their more recent childish ones. It's The Grinch. I've been trying to rack my brains about that music. I can't remember whether it's Night on Bear Mountain or Hall of the Mountain King, but it's, it's beautiful. Hall of the Mountain King. Oh, thank you. Well, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I knew it was one of those two, but uh, uh, I mean, it sounds a little ridiculous to have the the wide range of going from uh, things like Gorgons and Cyclops to the Grinch and uh, Darby O'Gill. I mean, it, the whole gamut. The point is, uh, I mean, what, one of the uh, I think I mentioned Merlin before, uh, the TV series, the the UK series that's just taking a break at the moment. But I remember there they had like a little sort of replica, um, uh, uh, what's it called, a leprechaun type little creature. And it does seem as though the whole gamut of, uh, of these creatures can go from sort of, you know, funny and mischievous uh, to actually, you know, uh, frightening in the extreme uh, to enormously powerful to th- creatures of mythical proportions I mean uh, it, the the range is honestly so so wide um, are there any I mean has America brought many uh, new creatures into this thing I, I assume they have through science fiction and fantasy literature but I, I'm not too sure how many have actually made it into films I mean, unless you take the whole, uh, you know, superhero thing, which I'm assuming we're keeping completely separate from. I don't think there's an awful lot of, um, especially mythical creatures that have been added. Bigfoot, yeah, is the one, but uh, there's there's Bigfoot and Sasquatch. I mean, one does one beget the other? Uh, That's the big question. It's kind of like uh, the Loch Ness Monster, you know, there's other... Lakes that supposedly have creatures in them as well. That's one we haven't touched on that David Boyd did actually bring up earlier, and I forgot to mention was the Loch Ness monster. That's one that never fails to inspire, especially kids' imagination. Is is the Loch Ness monster? Because you know this. I mean, it is not that it's plausible, but uh, you know, well, having such a deep, 
deep body of water that something could plausibly hide within the depths of that you know they've never mapped the entire depths of it and even if you did you'd have to have you know a fleet of ships to scan it all at once you know uh to find out whether it's there or not so it's, it's yeah i was wa- watching i was watching a program about it because um, there was this program about the the canals that were built between these these low lo- uh, ness and the other lakes that mm-hmm. form this sort of um line that, that apparently um i think i'm sure it might have been Brunello. Somebody had decided he was going to 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 have this canal right across through Scotland that would cut, so they wouldn't have to go all the way around the north of Scotland. It was going to be cut through, and other people said it was going to be a white elephant. It, it was indeed because by the time it was completed, um, the railways had uh, done the job much faster. But you're quite right. I think there's, I mean, even Loch Ness on its own, I think there's more water in there than the rest of all the UK lakes put together. Tremendously deep. And some people think that historically, um, you know, the, any creature that might have got in there from the open sea, you know, from the Plissorian sea times, um, that they would have been, you know, trapped within there, sort of landlocked, as it were, uh, and they would have had to develop a little bit like you think of, well, the, it's the opposite, but like the Galapagos Island, where, uh, you know, there's no other land nearby, so any animals that are on it. Had uh, could just stay as they are, are developed, but within their own sort of environment, without right. other predators coming in and and killing them off. Uh, this is obviously the opposite with water surrounded by land are now landlocked. So I mean, there's enough credence there for something to have been. The trouble is, of course, I think mathematicians have done. They've been, they've made the biggest kibosh because they reckon you'd have to have at least something like uh, uh, a couple of families of 28 of these creatures mm. for them to be able to survive through the generations and you know breeding right. and so on. Yeah. Um, Davey Boy also puts in there, uh, there's a kind of uh, a kind of Brigadoon thing to the Loch Ness myth. Uh, they sell a Scotland that doesn't really exist, Brigadoon style. And if you ever visit, you'll get uh, chewed alive by midges. Uh, <laughs> Let's see, sandfly, uh, kind of a, a small biting insect. Um, tiny, yeah. Yeah, tiny yeah. little. No I was watching the Scottish Gold today, and uh, they kept doing panoramas, and they kept showing the uh, that place where the uh, Harry Potter train comes over, you know, the big yeah. curving viaduct and that. Mm. Uh, the other one you mentioned was the... Uh, Bigfoot and the Sasquatch, and I know David Boy mentioned it. So uh, the only clip I've got of anything like that, because obviously uh, <laughs> I can show you perhaps uh, fake pictures, but is uh, from Harry and the Hendersons. George, those are just empty calories. Oh, never mind about that. No, 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 not yet. Just a minute. I have a little something to show you. But first, I want you to think about this just for a moment. Us. Life. Time. Magazines. Cover stories. I mean, you could be looking at old dad on the Carson show for heaven's sake. No, 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 no. Now, we started with something kind of simple. But I'm sure you'll see that as soon as he gets going, there is absolutely nothing to stop him. Sit.
word with you before the Carson show calls. Uh, Nancy, uh, it wasn't... Nancy, honey, please give him just one more... George, Nathan... That's, um, I mean, uh, Bigfoot Sos- Sos- Sasquatch, is it? Sasquatch. Yeah, um, described in reports as a large, hairy, ape-like creature, six to ten feet tall, um... Reportedly, now it's forests, mainly in Pacific Northwest region of North America, but there's also the other one, isn't there? The, uh, what is it, in the Himalayas or somewhere? Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, that was a humorous link, but I mean, um, it is definitely a creature of myth and fantasy. Uh, the whole point about whether it's actual or not uh, only adds to that um, thought. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I guess when these things started coming out, uh, that it was entirely plausible because we hadn't, we'd yet to dis- to discover every nook and cranny of the world, and you know, uh, satellite imagery and 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 vast hiking trips throughout, you know. Uh, the country, you know, we weren't the, the place wasn't as well explored now that we've kind of. Uh, permeated most of the corners of the of, of the planet. It, it becomes less and less likely, you know, when you think about it. But it's still fun to think about. Yeah, and th- there's uh, that famous photo on the on the wiki page. Is that fairly famous photograph? That, in fact, I think it was actually a, sm- a short video, wasn't it, of one appears to be one walking in towards the forest, mm. which. Um, uh, the fact that it's blur- blurry makes it almost seem more plausible because you, yeah. you can't tell it's a suit, but uh, it's definitely got uh, intelligent-like movements, which yeah. obviously means it, it's more likely to be a man in a suit. Right. The, the, also, the difficult thing, too, these days is anybody uh, reportedly citing any of these uh, these kind of creatures... Um, it becomes less and less likely because with cameras being what they are uh, and even even cameras on cell phones are, are of such good quality it becomes less and less likely that this fuzzy picture that they have of, of something traipsing through their backyard is actually a Sasquatch because you're like, well dude, is that all your camera can do? <laughs> right uh, I mean, uh, just to, to, to give an idea of that as well, is that uh, 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 a sea creature that would uh, come onto that, which, you know, like you say, we didn't know uh, all about land, well, was the celiacanth. I mean, fishermen have only rarely brought a celiacanth that was thought to be extinct. Now, we're not talking mythological uh, creature here in terms of it never having existed, but people thought it had died out, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago and then um, it found that um, they were rediscovered in fact from this page the wiki page I put in um, uh, were rediscovered in 1938 off the coast of South Africa Um, but up up until that point they thought uh, the creature had had long since died out so uh, I mean just show that what seems to be a dead end uh, or well I won't say any more, because there, there was another creature that they just found in Australia, but in actual fact, it's a fossil, uh, mm. but it's like um, a giant rodent. But it doesn't mean that there's going to actually be any of those alive, but in right. the case of the coelacanth, it proved to be. 
Let's right. go on a slight tangent to that then, because um, one of the other forms of uh, mythological creatures uh, are that are certainly used in film are ones that are based on creatures, but just exponentially larger. Uh, I suppose you could say uh, the shark out of Jaws, but the other obvious one is King Kong. while your eyes convince you that it is. Truly, the thrill of thrills. Don't miss it this time. Okay, and again, I put another wiki link in there for King Kong. That was from the original 1933 movie, which, uh, unbelievable, I thought was great. But uh, you can't beat, is it Ray? <laughs> yes. I was just say I was just going to make a comment. I never really got convinced with Jack Black in the the remake. But anyway, we're talking about the creatures, not Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if uh, well, was it, D- D- actually put in, in into the chat uh, the uniquely American creature. Uh, the uniquely American creature like this is the is the irradiated creature. Uh, how does atomic energy change the normal creature into the horrific? Uh, like, for instance, the Incredible Hulk or the Fly or whatever. Are um, oh, the four-eyed fish in The Simpsons? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the ants for them, but that works. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but that does seem to be... And, and we kind of touched on this with, with King Kong. Eight-legged freaks. Is uh, it um, yeah, is, is this uh, ma- the making of a, of a of a small creature into something you know of enormous size, um, and it becoming horrific, like you know the giant great white shark and jaws, um, you know King Kong, um, the ants and, and them, you know, it's this you know how horrific these things are if they're blown up to to human size or, or even bigger and and uh, the fifty foot woman. <laughs> I don't know, that's a fantasy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Get back on track. Uh, sorry, yeah. yeah. Stay on, Dalek. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, I mean, you could say the Incredible Hulk, too, because uh, in, in some respects, um, especially in the, in the in the TV series, he became kind of like uh, uh, the Sasquatch, you know, who was all these sightings of the Incredible Hulk and... Um, some guy walking down the street with his thumb out, you know. Uh, <laughs> David Wilkinson did chant uh, uh, Kong's 1933 version is the only one I care to watch more than once. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Mm. Yeah, and I fell asleep during the, the Peter Jackson one. It was overly long and pointless. <coughs> Sorry. 
hate to speak of one of my countrymen like that, but yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, well, uh, let's go back to another one then. Uh, uh, we talked about things that can be humorous, like the Darby O'Gill and the Little People, uh, terrifying ones like the Gorgon and so on. Um, but this this one that have been used more and more in like the horror genre, uh, and one of those, of course, is um, the uh, the werewolf are the Wolfman, and we're going back to 1941. <laughs> Jenny Williams was killed? Yes. Find something? Animal tracks. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf bit you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. With a fabulous Lawn Cheney Jr., Unbelievable. And Darth seems to... Yes, uh, was that totally... Uh, totally an American creation? The universal spin, that is. Uh, there's not a lot of Bram Stoker or Mary Shelley or whatever in those universal versions. But um, there was a... Universal did a movie called Werewolf of London in 30, 1935. Uh, that was their first take on the whole werewolf, werewolf thing, but... Um, that, you know, that's a whole yeah. Universal. That's the whole thing about you know, these universal movies. They sort of take their whole uh, mythology into you know the whole silver bullet thing. I think came from um, these movies and such like that, from the the Lion Cheney Junior ones and everything, and uh, that series. And the whole thing about uh, you know even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may be, become a wolf. When the wolf's bang blooms and the moon is full and bright. There, I remember that. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, that's when you get Claude Rain saying lines like that, you know, <laughs> it, makes, it makes it more uh, believable. Um, yeah, just yeah, the whole, and the whole makeup deal with um, uh, Jack Pierce is the guy who did the makeup. So, yeah, you know, it, yeah, it's sort of, uh, yeah, taking, um, you know, Things become, you know, the mythology, you know, you know, get started through uh, cinema like that. Yeah, I mean, we, we, there are all sorts. I mean, we've got the the Frankenstein's monsters. The the, uh, but the, uh, you see, the point is, we're, we're we're calling this obviously creatures of myth and fantasy, but we've obviously got a more modern day slant on this. We 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 started talking at. For those people who have joined us during the course of the show, um, we, we talked early on about the sort of the old Greek myths and the Jason and the Argonauts and so on. Uh, but obviously, uh, the whole range, the whole gamut, runs up to new, almost newly created uh, things. And by newly, I mean in the last sort of 
hundred years or so. So, um, uh, but perhaps that's still long enough for some people to think of those as as being not mythical creatures, but certainly creatures of fantasy, which, as Ken in and myself always say, we always try and give a broad uh, background to our topics to allow for a little bit of wiggle room in terms of um, how the show and the people in it want to go. Yes. Unfortunately, we're, we're a little short on um, vocal participants today. We've got somebody else coming in from North Central Kentucky. Is that... Hello? The bottom here. I know. Yeah. I haven't said anything yet. Hello? On the who's on the phone, please? Do you want to say hello? You're They're unmuted. Shy. They've gone shy. <laughs> I got a new phone I tried to unmute and couldn't. Oh there we <laughs> There you go. I- all right, welcome. You, you're joining the show. We've been going about an hour and 20 minutes now. We're talking about creatures of myths and fantasy. Uh, I don't know how much of you heard of me with that little recap. Is there anything you want to add at the moment? Are you happy just to listen in? I was just listening in. Okay, well, if this is your first Cult and Collective show, welcome. We do these shows every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on many varied topics of cult. Uh, programming, TV, films, books and so on often things like Doctor Who and UK science fiction but today we're just going a little bit more widespread to creatures of myth and fantasy Okay, anybody else in the room wanted to talk a little bit more about the the, the similar type of creature to um, uh, Wolfman that uh, people like Lorne Chaney were able to bring to life so well on screen Charlie, is this Anything that you can add to what you've already said? Um, no, I mean, it, I mean just the you know the various werewolf movies. You know, there was that one with um, Curse of the Werewolf with Oliver Reed. That was a Hammer movie, and everybody. You know, there was a couple of werewolf movies in the '80s, like Wolfen, and um, well, that wasn't really more of a werewolf. That was just wolves. Um, or um, The Howling and American Werewolf in London. Now, Tim's a big fan of that movie. Oh yes, with Agatha, um, Jenny Agatrin. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we've had the 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 recent series of Being Human, which uh, has brought together the unholy alliance of a a ghost, a vampire, and uh, a werewolf. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't really talked about uh, vampires, have we, in in any real form today? No, no we haven't. Again, I guess that's a, another one that's ranks a little higher because you know, again, uh, I mean, a werewolf is a, a man reduced to uh, the base instincts of an animal, whereas a vampire uh, is fully in control of all those faculties and is and as intelligent as a man. And because they are so long lived, usually there's uh, usually a little more intelligence or at least uh, wisdom that goes along with having lived. You know, so long. So I think it's one of those things that makes it a little more fascinating. You know, there's this kind of ent- eternal life thing going on, but with a curse of, you know, needing to uh, to to drink blood all the time. Yeah, and it seems to actually catch a lot of people's imagination because uh, a lot of teenage uh, science fiction seems to focus on this all these Twilight ones, and of course we had Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, 
Um, there seems to be something that completely escapes me, but the the is supposed to uh, elude to um, the Dracula taking blood as some uh, rite of passage for young ladies. I don't know what it is, but it's sort of it seems to be something that teenagers seem to uh, identify with, maybe more than any other age group. I think certainly the way it's done with these sort of um, uh, the sort of stars they get to play it, the sort of uh, these thin, pale, androgynous type of uh, uh, what we used to call in my day anemic <laughs> people. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, in my day, you were thin because you couldn't get enough bloody food because it was rushing, not because it was a lifestyle choice. But there you go. Okay, let's um, let me uh, take us back a little bit to um, some more, not classical in the in the true sense of Greek, but sort of early fiction, going back more to sort of the uh, you know the Jules Verne and uh, and and that sort of era. And here's a clip I've, I have used it before, and there isn't the creature in it, but it's referred to. This is of course Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. The motion picture screen explodes with unprecedented power as the two masters of imagination, Jules Verne and Walt Disney, join to bring you a shattering new experience in entertainment. Read by countless millions, translated into 18 languages, this classic adventure is a story of measureless scope, fraught with fantastic beauty and danger. The most vivid scenes from the novel become unforgettable on the screen. The luxurious interior of the submarine. The revelation of the hidden mysteries of the deep. We do our hunting and farming here. And the water? The sea supplies all my wants. The mighty harvests of the ocean kingdom. It's remarkable. This tastes like veal. The flavor deceives you. That is filet of sea snake. Hmm? I guess this isn't lamb. That is brisket of blowfish with sea squared dressing, basted in barnacles. <clears throat> Where is it? That's a recipe of my own. Study of unborn octopus. <laughs> and to stay in your memory as the most thrilling sequence ever photographed in motion picture history, the terrifying battle with the giant squid. Okay, I'm just going to mute myself while I cough, but Ian... <laughs> Yes, that's the sound of Dave not coughing, folks. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, yeah. Um, Let me just uh, mention then that um, if you want to go back to one of our earlier episodes, episode 34, which was on the 21st of March 2010, we did uh, an episode called Jules versus Wells. Uh, Clash of the Titans, so that's one for you to check out if you're interested in that type of uh, show. And I should also mention, uh, it's appropriate time to mention it as well, um, we also did the one, uh, you heard the clip that we did, you're listening to uh, The Cult Collective, and it was from Anthony Burge from the um, the mythological dimensions of uh, Doctor Who. We did that, and I'm trying to quickly look and see when we did that episode, and yeah, we did that on the 25th of November, 2010. It hasn't got an episode number, but it's Cult Them Interviews, The Mythological Dimensions of Hugh, uh, of Doctor Who. 
and that was Anthony Burge, Jessica Burke, and Christine Larson. And that um, was just before episode 74. So if you find episode 74 in our back catalogue, it was the one just prior to that. Yep. Okay, advert's over. <laughs> well, that one anyway. <laughs> uh, one, one site that Dave did come across uh, was mythicalcreaturesguide.com. And it's quite a neat little site, too. Uh, it's worth taking a look at because there's, uh, there's little uh, things on there. Submit your own mythical creature drawing. There's a uh, test your mythical creature's knowledge uh, with a trivia quiz. Um, and the, they've got it... Um, Divided up into different sections: stories and fiction, undead creatures, uh, cryptozoology, sea creatures, biblical creatures and beings, uh, the ones that cover uh, creatures of Greek mythology, uh, Norse mythology. So it's well worth having a having a look around there um, for a little more in-depth uh, information than, than than what we're uh, putting in here. Uh, one of the ones I do like from from Greek mythology is the centaur. Um, I don't know, it just seems like a good way of getting around, you know. No matter where you go, you've got your transportation with you, you know. <laughs> but usually they're, they're, they're portrayed as, as being quite intelligent, uh, honorable uh, creatures. Um, and, you know, I don't know, I just I just always kind of like, always like the centaur. Although it, it, does, it does beg the question, if you're riding a centaur, a female centaur, and, and Darth will like this question. Where do you hold on to them? There, there, there. The reason why I do bring that up is um, uh, another book series that does delve a lot into mythical creatures is the Zant series by Piers Anthony, um, where there's everything from dragons, ogres, uh, centaurs, just all manner of different creatures. Uh, and of course, uh, one of the young men is, is is riding a centaur, and every time she does a big jump or anything, he ends up like trying to grab on somewhere, and has been known to grab her in the you know chest area. <laughs> so, um, hence that joke. Yes, went over well, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, it did indeed. I think I better clean up our act. Um, <laughs> we've mentioned uh, uh, wolves. We've mentioned werewolves. So let's go on and mention Beowulf. <laughs> That's a good connection. Uh, there's at least an unnamed dragon in it. Uh, I'm not too sure what else, but let's have a trailer for Beowulf. Are you the one they call Beowulf? Such a strong man you are. A man like you could own the greatest tale ever sung. Beowulf. Stay with me. Give me a son, and I shall make you the greatest king that ever lived. This, I swear. You will forever be king. Forever strong. Mighty beyond imagination. What are you? 
not my curse. Not anymore. Okay, uh, I don't know anyone in the room has seen that film uh, and can comment on it. I certainly haven't. Ian or Charlie? No, I have not. But uh, Mike, can can being a literary man, surely you can shed some light on Beowulf. On Beowulf, sure. It's it's one of the oldest uh, res- uh, one of the oldest written oral history. Uh, uh, epic poems from the medieval times. It was not written. It was, I think, it was not often written down. I think there are very few records of it actually being written, written, written down in, you know, actual Middle English. Uh, but it, it was one of those epic sto- epic poems that that would that would be told at, at dinners and at, at special just at, at gatherings. And um, of course, most of it is uh, uh, in. You know, old English, and the, the movie that, the, of course, the movie that was done a few years ago uh, in 3D. That's uh, I, I I remember watching that movie and noticing it's not all really all that similar to the actual source material. <laughs> Big surprise there. But uh, the, the one interpretation translation that I'm most familiar is uh, a translation that poet Seamus Haney did. A uh, number of years did quite back in the 90s, I believe. That's the translating the modern English translation that I'm the closest, most familiar with. And uh, let's see, the, there's a there's a dragon in there. There's Grendel. There is there are those creatures, but it's basically three battles. There's the battle against uh, Grendel, Grendel's son at the beginning. Then there's the battle against Grendel, and then there's the dragon at the, at the very end. So it's basically three main trials and three main creatures. Well, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Oh because, yeah, uh, also uh, uh, Dave, you're putting in. I just noticed you yeah. put in that. Uh, yeah. Of course, Tolkien. <laughs> I, yeah, Tolkien and Seamus Haney's are the most well-known translations. Yeah. Uh, uh, so the, this is going to be a nice leap in a minute because we we ought to cover some of the the creatures in the uh, the Lord of the well the the, the uh, Tolkien's own. Writings must have been influenced by Beowulf, I would have thought. Um, and I don't know um, whether anybody else wants to mention anything about Beowulf, perhaps before we go on to Tolkien. Anybody want to comment? I know we're slightly short. Uh, for those who are listening, I've just come in recently. Uh, uh, we've had a couple of people, Logan and Tim, that have had to drop off audio. Uh, Darth seems to have been unable to make it on audio today. Uh, so uh, we are down to five on audio. Uh, our new listener has just dropped off. Hopefully um, that was uh, intentional. Hope they didn't just have problems. <laughs> Hopefully we didn't drive them away. <laughs> well, somewhere like that. Okay, let's go to... Um, I mean, I can only comment on the the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy uh, from the films, but I mean... Uh, I, I remember, well, my brother-in-law, the, the the creature he was most concerned that they got right was, is it Shelob, the giant spider? I think, is it Shelob? You know, the giant spider. I yeah, that's, that's his name, Shelob. Shelob, that um, Golem sort of basically leads them towards um, uh, on purpose. Um, but, I mean, there's the, there's the orcs and all the different creatures that are sort of 
welded out of the ground, aren't they? That uh, form. There's the the dwarfs that live underground. Uh, there's the elves. Uh, all manner of different uh, creatures and uh, you know subhumans. I mean, you could even talk about uh, Treebeard as being uh, because one of the things we haven't mentioned, and one of the old English. Um, uh, mythological creatures were the uh, you know the the spirits of the wood the forest the uh, uh, the green man I think it was called um, that um, was sort of uh, lived in the the forest and looked like a tree and um, I don't know anybody can tell me a little bit more about tree beard but I think he was like the guardian of the forest wasn't he yeah, the, as the Davy points out, Treebeard was, of course, one of the Ents. And, uh, of course, the thing with them was that they were sort of humanoid-type humanoid trees, trees that, that they could talk to and were lifelike. But the, the thing about the, about, about the trees is, is the way Tolkien wrote them into the books was that it was an early, well, it sort of preceded what came later in the mid to late 20th century, the whole environmental movement, is that they represented harmony with nature that you should that you can you can use nature for resources but don't waste nature there's a there's a section in in uh, i think the two towers where the where the ants probably treebeard is talking about how uh Sarm, how Saruman and his forces are sorry Saruman rather Saruman and his yeah. forces are are using are lo- basically logging forests and just leaving Large chunks of trees out to rot, not unused, and the whole the whole point of the of the ints, as Tolkien intended them, was to be just an environmental message, like that you should you you can use nature, but but use use it's like use all of it, you use use it to its utmost potential, and uh, yeah, that's basically the the whole meaning of the ints and the Lord of the Rings, as Tolkien intended. Right, and of course the 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 main people in the story, the hobbits themselves, are creatures of, uh, of myths and fantasy in a way, aren't they? The Middle Earth. No, they're hobbits represent us. So, right. Hobbits, yeah, the hobbits represent us, no, us normal people nowadays, as but, we would be in the, in the Middle Earth times. Oh, there, 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 yeah, there is the, the race of men in Middle Earth, but I was going to say that's right. yeah. It's the, the hobbits represent us, the normal, average people, and uh, the, the, the the race of men are in the in Middle Earth are described as always being the adventurous. The they're they're known for all their great heroic deeds, and, but uh, the hobbits are just the the quiet people who keep it who keep, who keep out of the way and live in the Shire, and and no, no one expects much of them. But look what happens. Look what happens in Lord of the Rings. Well, you've educated me, Mike. Well done. Because I, mean, I was thinking about where the young hobbits go on the start of the journey, and they, they hide. Uh, they go to meet someone in this uh, the tavern, and they go into the tavern, and, and all the people are, you know, our size, because obviously the hobbits are only mm-hmm. like two foot six or whatever they are, three yeah. foot tall. Uh, so I, I assume that the, the, the race of men, because it talks about the race of men, is that their time is coming, isn't it? And yeah. With the return of the king and so on. Yeah, the race of men. It's basically the more heroic. We've got three with between the elves, the dwarves, the hobbits, and men. We've got four different depictions of of us as normal as us humans that that Tolkien incorporated into the books. We've got the hobbits, as I mentioned. We've got the men, as I mentioned, the, the more heroic kind. Elves represent the, the more the higher form, the higher 
possibility of men as as far as uh, cultured or artistic or in harmony with nature. That's that extent of humanity. The dwarves are the industrial, the down to work, the down to earth, the the, the, the the more industrial form of humanity. So basically, four different four different depictions of men and their different of us and our possibilities in Lord of the Rings. Um, besides that, it's uh, one other thing that a lot of this that I'm that I'm talking about comes from this past semester at university. It took I actually took a course which was on the uh, the philosophical and, and religious beliefs of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis as represented in their writings. And uh, Lewis, uh, not C.S. Lewis, but Tolkien wrote a lot in letters to different people, and there's a lot you can see in the letters. But one thing that he wrote in particular was one of his more well-known essays was called on fairy stories and in this he he told he talks about how he views uh fantasy literature to be because this was back when fa- fantasy literature in written form was just really coming into a, its own genre and this is basically Tolkien de- defending it but one thing t- that I wanted to point out from this is that he mentions how he writes about fantasy creatures or just the 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 enemy creatures and how they should, how he views that they should be written, and he, he refers to them as the other. Like they have their own culture, they have their own society, and they shouldn't just be represented as you know just some random creatures going out and attacking. They actually have their own cult, culture and history, and that's how they should be viewed. And uh, that's just there's a whole tangent there that I could go into, but I'll just abbreviate it as such. Well, it's all right because you've got full marks. The Viva yeah. you've just given. Get full marks for that Viva. I assume you have Vivas in the States. That's where you give an oral account of your uh, thesis or whatever. And um, just uh, it's just reminding me, by the way, that um, uh, if Anthony Burge uh, is listening to this later, he will be pleased that we, we've, we've covered that. Uh, so I just want to put a link in here to uh, their book which is the mythological dimensions of Doctor Who, but he also has written other things. So um, uh, that is at, um, gr- well, the, the, the link I put up is greenmanreview.com, uh, and it's the book is Mythological Dimensions of Doctor Who. We'll probably finish off in Doctor Who in a minute, but um, uh, anybody else, Charlie, want to come in on, uh, on the uh, Lord of the Rings and things? No, that's all right. I think, I think Mike covered everything fairly well. <laughs> yeah, one other thing to point out with um with uh you mentioned the green man, Tom Bombadil. And in any of in all of his letters, Tolkien never actually said what he meant the green man to represent. Which was rather interesting, I thought. So the closest anyone can can figure as to what Tom Bombadil is supposed to represent is maybe it's a retelling of of, of Adam from the book of Genesis. But that's the closest anyone can think of. Okay, and I've just put one more link in here, and this is the Tolkien Gateway. Tolkien Gateway, one word, dot net. Uh, and that has a wiki link to uh, uh, Anthony Scott Burge, founder and co-chairman of the North East Tolkien Society and the webmaster of their site. Hedron, I can't pronounce that, is a drawn net. Has given many lectures on Tolkien and has contributed to the uh, J.R.R. Tolkien Encyclopedia uh, and so on. So um, put that one more link on to the North. This is to the North East Tolkien 
Society and I'm going to put that link in the room and that is I don't know how I can pronounce that but there you go so um, I think we ought to wrap up with perhaps just thinking about um, how any of these creatures have made it into Doctor Who Ian I mean the obvious one is uh, the Minotaur is it yeah. Um, yeah the Minotaur yeah definitely um, plus of course uh, that was it the mind robber had uh, uh, it had a Pegasus in it didn't it or was it a come on help us out Charlie oh dear I thought, I thought it was a Minotaur in Mind Robber mm, I was thinking more along the line it was a Minotaur in the Mind yeah. Robber yeah. and a Unicorn okay. and a Unicorn the land of fiction that there were all mm. sorts of creatures there yes. even Medusa but I was thinking of, of, of the Naimon <laughs> oh <laughs> Lord Naimon it is I Solid <laughs> sorry <laughs> who can resist exactly right well I mean I mean I've got a list here uh, to put up a wiki list of creatures from Dot Two, but uh, we're all going to go. Oh yes, as we look at that. <laughs> and oh, um, let me just uh, play some music while you all study that. This is actually um, just some nice uh, Legend of Unicorns theme. This is part of uh, the thing that we played in the intro. A bit too long to play at the end, so I'll play it now while we consult this document. Okay, uh, I mean, straight away, there are lots, aren't there? I mean, uh, uh, thinking of the, the, the tree lady from um, the Forest of Cheem, the, the uh, is it Jade or what she was called? Mm. Um, hello, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, sorry. Um, the, the the tree lady, that's, um, that you could argue that that was related to, like, the tree beard thing that we mentioned. Mm. Um, we had... Um, Oh, 
I've, I've lost it. It's such a big list. This uh, the Jagaroth. Uh, we talked about the Cyclops. I mean the Jagaroth uh, city of death. I don't know whether we could class that as almost a creature of myth because uh, it looked very much like the um, those pictures that uh, what was that uh, th- that famous book that was written in the seventies by that Swedish guy about. Um, you know, signs of spacemen and caves and things. Hmm. No? Okay, well, what else has people picked up? We've got the snake like Mara. Yes. Um, there was one that I was trying to think of, but I cannot. We have the plasma of all, which is sort of alluding to um, uh, vampires, isn't it? The uh, From Smith and Jones. The plasma wall sucked the blood through a straw. Well, speaking of that, we've actually had uh, a the number Reaper. of different types of uh, vampires on, on Doctor Who. Uh, in the fourth State episode. The yeah. Uh, on the fourth episode of uh, uh, the first Doctor Serial La Chase, uh, they encounter Count Dracula and Frankenstein's monster. Uh, we've got Sidney well, Pot in the room, by the way, Ian. You join us. <laughs> Yes, I say. Well, they are. They, I mean, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> yes, Zimipot sixty nine joins us late in the piece. I mean, uh, the fourth Doctor, of course, well, as you alluded to, the fourth Doctor encounters vampires whilst travelling in e space in state of decay. Uh, and of course, uh, the eleventh Doctor, Rory and Amy Pond. Uh, come across vampires in Venice. Yes. Right. I mean, you could argue that, like, the, the scarecrows from Human Nature, Family and Blood, they're not so much creatures, but they do relate to the sort of idea that, you know, bodies can be an- animated, you know, the undead and things like that, that were, were often thought of, you know, the old voodoo, voodoo no, juju, is it, a voodoo <laughs> ritual type of creatures of, of undead. Mm. Um, or the, also, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying that the, the Hemovores in um, Curse of Fenric, they're very mm. vampires. Yes. Uh, also, uh, werewolves, uh, greatest show in the galaxy, and uh, and Tooth and Claw. The Doctor has encountered, encountered vampires. I mean, uh, werewolves. There was that wolf-like creature in um, Mind Warp. I don't know if I remember yeah. that. Well, we, we had, we, we, you said the tooth and claw one, sorry, didn't you? Yeah. 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 And of course, we've we've got what might become for young people new myths. I mean, the the the, the way we, the Weeping Angels uh, was so much of a hit, uh, they may well become what some younger people will consider, you know, uh, creatures of myth and fantasy before too long. Very true. Uh, such a big list this while we're struggling to uh, as soon as we end the recording of course we'll uh, we'll think we'll of think at least five kind of yeah. <laughs> well uh, something that's not that's that's um, related to Doctor Who uh, Torchwood had that episode with the fairies um, small worlds mm. Mm. and of course we had the the brain of Morpheus and um, you know the idea of the the, the uh, Frankenstein type of monster didn't we mm. yeah exactly yeah and the macro, you can talk about macro. 
and the and the spiders and playing the spiders. Again, another another take on the whole gigantic versions of of a, of a common household creature. Right. Uh, what about the cheetah people from Survival? I mean, uh, cat-like people. There was the uh, the old Catwoman films, uh, if people remember those. Yeah. Um, and Catwoman itself. So the the cheetah people were sort of a variation on mm. that. Yes. And in, and indeed. I was going to say, no. one more. I mean, you could argue the Cybermen in a way, because one of the sort of things was sort of half-man, half-machine type of creatures. Right. Yes. I think we're running out of steam, folks. Yeah, we mentioned <laughs> the dragon the dragon from Dragonfire, haven't we? Yeah. I don't think we did, but uh, yes. The dragon from Dragonfire. Okay, so th- the point is that... Um, yeah, you know, this is a very uh, large subject. I think um, Ian himself will have to put our thinking caps on. It, it, something like the dragons may, I mean, obviously not in 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 weeks soon, but uh, maybe you know a few months down the line we may revisit uh, you know some part of this topic because um, it, it's almost too vast. We've ended up really touching on lots of one. There is one other clip that I haven't done, and it may just. Uh, uh, just finishes off um, although I don't think we can talk about it a lot and that is sort of where uh, Christianity has sort of come in to it a little bit and of course I'm talking about the lion from the uh, the Narnia series uh, the uh, the one Aslan which is presumably a representation of God so let me just play this short clip and that'll give you a chance to to wrap up what you think Ian thank you stop you from coming to me. That Camellia, that's the one who died. Can I stop that? We can never know what would have happened, Lucy. But what will happen is another matter entirely. You'll help? Of course. As will you. Oh, I wish I was braver. If you were any braver, you'd be a lioness. Now, I think your friends have slept long enough, don't you? Remind me, what were those creatures that had, like the 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 hooves and the uh, the sheep's leg ones uh, that were in? You know, the one that meets Lucy under the um, under the uh, lamp right at the be- beginning of Lion, which uh, is the wardrobe. Uh, fawns. Fawns, fawns, yeah. Okay, that's another right. mythological <laughs> creature, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Okay, well, I'm pretty much done. I suppose if we close, people can give a closing comment if they want. All I can say is that we've hardly touched the surface of this topic, so if it's appeared a little bit disjointed to our listeners, apologies for that. Uh, If we've missed your favour out, then try and come on the shows live, and your contribution will be uh, that much enriching the show itself. Yes, exactly. All right. Uh, any closing clo- closing thoughts? Uh, closing thoughts from from yourself, Mike. Just the only other thing that I have to, at this point is how even nowadays we have creatures and mytho- mythological mythological creatures being created. 
the internet itself is a is a fertile ground for people coming together and putting together ideas and coming up with creatures that is, okay it's like a creature might somebody might think of a creature in one thread on some forum on some far flung corner of the internet and then people start seeing that and it starts starts that collects a following and suddenly people come up with their own ideas and just throw, all sorts of people throwing in ideas about the, about a creature and it suddenly develops a mythos of its own and it's Slenderman. how that does yes that's exactly what I'm walking around here is Slenderman <laughs> which I'm quite fond of it's a it's oh, a, a, it's a creature that was <laughs> yes, it was a creature that was made on. There was this thread on the Something Awful forums years ago, where the whole point was to Photoshop pictures into uh, paranormal elements, like Photoshop ghosts into pictures. And this one guy, Victor Surge, was his screen name. He, but he started photoshopping in this really tall guy in a business suit with no face into pictures, and uh, people were wondering, what's that? What's that supposed to be? I've never seen that. Let's call him Slender Man. And so now that has a following, and there's all sorts of videos on YouTube where people are telling stories with, with uh, Slender Man, and it's, it's that's it, one reason I like that so much is because it's it's the creation of a mythological creature, in on in modern day. So it's Excellent. rather cool. That is cool. I didn't realize it was quite so. I thought it was something that being picked up from long ago. I didn't realize it was quite so recent. That's that's uh, part that's part of how they've been doing them is that they've been people have been photoshopping and creating all of these old Germanic texts where part apparently the history of, of Slender Man is that he haunted in the Black Forests in Germany in the mid in, in around the twelfth century or so and Der Grossermann or something like that is what yeah. he's referred to. And of course, Slender Man. Look, he's 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 tall. He has multiple arms at times. He, he looks like a tree, and so he's very commonly seen in trees. And there's a forest right outside of my window. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, <laughs> I remember one picture you had actually posted. I think it was on Twitter or something like that. And you're like, oh, look at that, you know. And and I think I saw the picture, and I was like, I couldn't see anything, and it was so dark. So I, you know. Saved the picture to my hard drive and brought it into, into Photoshop and lightened it up. And lo and behold, there's Slender Man standing there, scared the out of me. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, there's there's this, <laughs> yeah, there's this one one series up on YouTube, uh, Marble Hornets. It's, they've been going for just over two years now, and the whole point of their story is that it's it, the whole premise is it starts off with one character, the main character Jay's talking with his old college friend Alex, and uh, they're, they're both film majors, and Alex is working on this film project he called Marble Hornets, but if, but at one point he got really, he started acting really really wary, really alarmed at everything, started snapping at everyone and decided to quit the project, and he gave, he gave all of his tapes to, to, to Jay and told them to burn the tapes, he never wants to see them again, and Jay, Jay apparently never saw Alex again. Alex went into hiding, and uh, the whole first season of, the, of that story is, is Jay looking through the tapes and noticing some odd things going on. Slender Man is apparently stalking him. And the second season going on now is continuing the stories, them still dealing with Slender Man stalking them. So Marble Hornets is a, it's, it's a, it's a good inter- introduction to the whole Slender Man mythology. So myth and legend being created as we speak, folks. Exactly. Charlie, can you one up that one? Oh, how can I one up uh, Slender Man? Um, <laughs> the Legend of Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll 
I was thinking more maybe Alice, Alice in Wonderland, just all the creatures and and and, mm. and whatnot in there. But that's all I got. Yes. But yeah, uh, actually, you do have a good point there too. I mean, in things that are are coming to the forefront at the moment. Uh, the, I mean, Harry Potter, for example, does use a lot of um, the classical mythological creatures, but you know, things are being created all the time uh, in literature, and who knows, we'll be in another hundred years, and we'll stick around. Um, Slender Man could have built to the point where uh, nobody's quite sure where it started. Um, uh, you know, who can say? You know, we we look at these myths now that we've got, and we're like, wow, that's fantastic. I wonder if anything like that existed that was similar, and that's where they got their idea from. But uh, you know, some of the origins are lost in history. Well, I mean, there's one lost in history. It's called the Hoff. Some people think it's David Hasselhoff, but we're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's about time we closed up shop. I think. <laughs> Uh, before we get out of here, I'm going to uh, I'm going to play a uh, a little preview clip, about four minutes long. Uh, uh, please stick with it if you if you will. Uh, it's from uh, the, uh, an up and coming episode of the Flashing Blade podcast, which I actually make uh, an appearance or two on. I'm not telling you where. Uh, if you happen to find out where I am on there, that'd be really cool if you let me know if you'd spot me in there um, because it's a uh, little hidden pieces here and there. It's fun. <laughs> so, I'll play that before we get out of here, and then I'll play the theme on the way out, Dave. Um, so, um, I'm hoping I'll play it, because I'm not sure if my emotion's working. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, just to say that uh, we'll clarify the topics for the upcoming weeks soon. More than likely, we will talk about Torchwood next week. But if we if we do talk about both one and two episodes, what we'll do is we'll try and get people only talking about episode one at the first half of the show so people in the UK have only seen by the time next Sunday comes around part one, uh, they can listen to that part and then part the rest of it and the people who've seen the second episode in the United States and so on can then have free reign to talk um, about uh, the part two which will have by then have aired in, uh, for them. So that's probably what we'll do, and we'll put the upcoming topics up soon. Yep. All right. But until then, thank you for everybody who participated today. Uh, Charlie P79, Randall 4, Darth Skeptical, Davy Boy, uh, Logan, Cybob, Sean59, and Zimitypot69, and all the guests who who roamed in and out, uh, and whoever it was who called in on the phone earlier. Thank you for coming in, and I hope you come back again. So, until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave A.C. And it is goodbye from the myth that is Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) And that didn't work. (laughs) So we'll just play the outro and... Damn it! love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. 
That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 